How you guys doing? <laughs> Who was that? Zach, for real? Anyway, man, 15 years old all over again. Uh, the father of three. Uh, so welcome to the Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm pastor here. It's really good to see you guys. What an awesome worship time that was, wasn't it? For real? That was amazing. Uh, so <clears throat> I want to ask you guys a question, okay? Who here, what's your favorite drink? Just start naming them out. What's your favorite Coke, tea, water, you said it sad, lemonade, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of honest people, and then Kaylee, who just wants to be healthy and says water, that's good, I, I like water too, okay, so who here with that, who here would choose, or who doesn't like the taste of water, they don't like water, like to be honest, you, you, don't, you don't like it, okay, raise your hand, that's fine, now, this is where I'm at, raise your hand, be honest here, other than Kaylee, I trust you, you already said it. Who here, not based on a diet, not based on sugar or calories, who here would choose water over their favorite drink? Raise your hand. Okay, who would not? That's fair. Good. Yeah, I'm a water guy too. But uh, who thinks water tastes the best? That's interesting. Uh, that was just from, that's not even my notes. I was just curious. Let me ask you guys this. Those of you that raised your hand, the rest of you, you're already ahead of the game. But those of you that raised your hand that you don't like water or it's not your favorite drink, let me ask you a question. If, and I'm serious, what if you were in the Sahara Desert? If you're in the Sahara Desert and you've been there a day, and I don't know the science of this, so let's say it's 120 degrees, okay, and you're wandering through, you've already stripped down to your skivvies, all right, to cool off, and you've been walking, no, nothing to drink, at all. What's the first thing your mind's going to go to? Water, right? We don't, when people are dying of thirst, isn't this interesting? They don't go, Coke, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mountain Dew, they don't, right? Tea. Our minds inherently know that we want water. They know we need water. We may not want it, they know we need it. Why is it, those of you who are in the room and said you hate water, you don't like the taste of it, or it's not your favorite drink, why is it that in a scenario where it's life or death, in the, in the desert, when it comes down to it, you still choose water. It's because our appreciation for water, food, and even oxygen correlates directly with our need for it. See what I'm saying? When, when you're going to die of thirst, all of a sudden water sounds really, really good, right? You take breathing for granted until you can't breathe. What you might say, um, I hate pizza or I hate sandwiches, but if you're starving to death and someone slides that, gosh, pizza's not a good one. Everyone loves pizza, right? Whatever. Uh, bread? <laughs> Spinach. There we go. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever they put in front of you, you're going to eat it because you're starving, right? That's why, and, and this is sad, that's why we've seen, you know, you've seen those videos of, of sometimes in, in other countries where kids are starving. They're going through the trash, right, to eat. Why? Because they're not like, we might go, oh, that's beneath us. Because that's fair. And that's not to make you feel guilty. You don't have to. But if you had to eat trash to live, that banana peel looks really good. It correlates directly with your need. In the Sahara Desert, you don't drink water because it has the best taste. You drink water because it gives life. I'll give you another story. Who's heard of Ray Comfort? I know someone has. Ray Comfort. When I first became a believer, I stumbled across a thing on, I don't remember what they call it in this neck of the woods. It was Channel 46 in the 574. 
That's where they would always have the church, yeah, he gets it, <laughs> the church stuff. And I, I came across this thing called Way of the Master. And essentially, he teaches you how to evangelize. Uh, Kurt Cameron, that's where he started really getting involved as well. And it's teaching them to evangelize. And I only I plug it because I'm about to tell you a story and analogy he gave. And I thought it was really interesting. He also gave a similar analogy when he said, Put, picture yourself on a plane or some, a guy's on a plane. The stewardess comes to him, gives him a parachute, and says, hey, if you put this parachute on, you're going to be more comfortable. You're going to be able to sleep better. You're going to feel better. Just put this parachute on. They put the parachute on. After about a couple hours, he's like, this does not feel better. He takes it off, puts it down. Okay? The next time, someone comes up. The plane's starting to crash. The stewardess comes up and says, here's a parachute. He puts the parachute on, right? He keeps it on. Or maybe the story is in an hour we're going to crash, put this on. It hasn't even happened yet. He's going to put it on. Why? Because in that moment, it's not about comfort. It's about life or death. Jesus is the same way. Listen to me. Many of you in this room, the reason you go back and forth with your Christianity and your faith is because somewhere along the way, you've come to believe Christianity is about life enhancement. It's not. Christianity is not about life enhancement. It's about life giving. It's about living. Listen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that maybe someone hasn't told you. Being a Christian is not going to make your life easier. It's not going to always take away your loneliness. It's not going to always take away your sadness. It's not going to always make everything perfect. It's not, not going to make you have a good marriage. It's not going to bring you a good wife. It's not, in and of itself... That isn't what's going to happen. Now, following Jesus and following his commands leads to some of those things. But I'm telling you right now, a lot of times the cost outweighs those benefits. And some of you have been put on Christianity your whole life because you believe, maybe if I do it just like rubbing a a lamp, a genie, then God will give me money. God will give me health. God will make my marriage better. God will bring me a girlfriend. God will bring me a husband, whatever else it is. And so what ends up happening, as always, is eventually after a couple hours, you say, this parachute's not very comfortable. It didn't give me what was promised. That's not the promise. That's not the promise. And some of you in this room, your disappointment in your faith, the dead nature of your faith, meaning eh, it's just religion, is because you have been, uh, you are confused as to what it gives. And some of you in the room are probably not even true Christians, are out there watching. Because your entire life, it's always been about life enhancement. That's why you can't ever, ever hear the parts where Jesus tells you to change something. That part doesn't make sense. He's supposed to take me where I'm at, which he does, and leave me there. But just bring me everything I want. That's not how it works. Jesus isn't the way to give you a good marriage, money, status, a good life by the world's standards, though I believe you will have a better life following him in the things that maybe you can't touch than you would otherwise. I believe it because he's the creator and he made it that way. You can have joy instead of short-term happiness. You can have a joy that rises above circumstances, above sickness, above poverty, above relationships falling apart. You can have that. It exists. You can have peace, but you may not have the perfect marriage. You may not have money when you need it. Bad things may happen in this life, which he told us, by the way. See, the real Jesus loves you enough to tell you the truth. He's not the way to get worldly things. He doesn't bring you the good life in the world's standards. He brings you life. 
And listen to me. He is the only way to life. Some of you in this room, you still haven't come there yet. You like Jesus, but you don't like the idea that he's the only way. Well, here's the problem. He said that. You can't partially believe him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? Nobody comes to the Father except through me. We do not view the gospel in the right way many, many times. That's why it's not good news to you. I get really sad because some of you in this room, I've watched you. I've watched you become believers. Did you know that I was there? It was an awesome moment. And I've watched your joy go down the tubes. I've watched you stop wanting to come to church. Uh, I've watched you stop wanting to worship. I've watched you stop smiling. Because somewhere along the lines, this isn't what you signed up for. Or maybe someone told you, right, that it was going to be this way and it's not. I'm sorry, and I, they probably didn't tell you what the gospel really is. We view it, as I said, as life enhancement, not life saving, not as a process of becoming more holy. See, God's purpose is to save you and make you into himself, make you more like him. Did you know that? Did you know that, that, that God's plan isn't to make you just feel good about yourself? It is for you to have self-esteem because of who you're creating his image, but he doesn't leave you there. See, that goes against what the world says. See, the world says love is like, hey, man, lady, you're perfect the way you are. Do whatever you want, your truth, my truth, whatever, just feel happy. That's not reality. That's why it never lasts. If you have a knife in your leg, real love isn't going, it'll be okay. That'll, that'll probably stop hurting tomorrow. Real love is, I'm going to rip that nasty old knife out of your leg so we can properly take care of it. We view it as life enhancement. The gospel is not life enhancement. We have, listen, we have to understand our situation. I told Tim the other day when I was preparing this message, I said, this is a hard one for me. I said, pray. Pray for two reasons. One, because when I, have to, when, I, when I preach these types of things, typically, you know, spiritual warfare, that's real stuff. Stuff starts getting weird because it's hard truth. And then secondly, with that, you guys start getting real grumpy. You do. But listen, we have to understand it. We have to view our situation as it is because if you don't understand the situation, just like the guy with the parachute who's just chilling, that's going to bring me comfort, you're not going to appreciate the gospel. Some of you speak about grace, but you don't understand what it really is. Grace is not a ticket for you to sin. It's a ticket for you to be free of sin. That's good news. You say, oh, well, yeah, God saved me, woo-hoo-hoo, because you've forgotten what the alternative is. What's he saving you from? See, some of you go, well, if he's just saving me from depression, today I feel pretty good. That's not what he's saving you for, saving you from, excuse me. We have to understand our situation, because if you do, you'll understand why Jesus said, go spread the good news of the gospel. It becomes very good news, Right? It becomes good news if you understand what you were saved from. Grace only has real meaning. You know, our, our tagline here is chosen by grace. As I bring up all the time, in case they ever watch it, I had a pastor say, you take grace too far here. You, you can't. We'll get to that later. But understand this. In order to truly appreciate grace, you have got to know the truth. Grace only has real meaning if we understand what it is and what God, through Jesus Christ, has done for us, for you. 
So, I have a lot, I know I've said this before, a lot of verses today. But if you'll stick with me, it's going to paint a, a picture for you. Now, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm not going to say it, too bold, I'll wait. Anyway, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. If you end up wanting to leave the room, you should stay till the end. Because that discomfort you're going to feel is called conviction. Even if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, what you're, you might experience here, that's called the Holy Spirit all of a sudden opening your eyes to the reality of your situation. So stick with me. Romans, in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23. Stay with me. I know, I, hey, Christians, long-term Christians, take your earmuffs off for a second. I want you to listen. I know you know everything. You went to Sunday school. Here we go. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've all heard it. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse. That's cool. We learn it. We learn it in Sunday school. That's a good thing. I'm not sure we understand it. So, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unless you understand, understand what sin does, that doesn't really matter. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. You're like, well, clearly I'm not God. Duh. But what if the standard was you are to be holy as God is holy? All right, stay with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all agree on that. Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. Pause. Who's fallen short of the glory of God? Who has sinned? All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. Guess what? I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. Unless you're as good as God, you are not a good person. Listen to me. I'm sorry to hurt your feelings. You're not a good person on your own. You, you know how I know that? How many times this week did you want to? I didn't even say the times you gave in. Did you want to do something really cruel? Did you want to do something bad? Yeah, why is that in you? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. That means you got a wage for you, just like you go to work every week. Yeah, pull that check out. You're dead tomorrow. I'm going to kill you. You've earned this. See, that's important. I love wages. You earned this. I earned this. And some of you don't like that because when you know how you know you haven't quite grasped it? Because you're going to start telling yourself all the ways you're good. You're going to tell yourself all the ways you're a good person. But are you good enough? You might be better than me. In fact, I know some of you in this room are better people than me. Unfortunately, I'm not the standard. It's not fall short of the glory of Todd. You'd all be in real good shape, right? The glory of God. So unless anyone in this room, you can honestly say to yourself that you have been as good and pure as a perfect holy God, you're going to be dead. Listen to me. I'm sorry. I don't like saying it either. You will. Well, everybody dies, Todd. No, 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 no. There's a worse death. The Bible says don't worry about the people that can kill your body. Worry about the God who can kill your soul. Eternity is a long time. Before I go on to this section in Matthew 24, I'll get there in a second. Don't put it up yet, guys. I want to explain to you something so you understand because it's going to seem weird. Jesus, over and over and over, says this one strange phrase. He gives these parables, and he talks about uh, unforgiving servants, and he talks about uh, weeds that grow in with wheat, that get in with wheat, and he talks about coming someday and, and separating that. He says, don't worry about separating the people that you know, the wheat. And he makes, the comparisons are, we're all together and the only person that's really going to know is God. And he's going to take the people that are with him and he's going to take them and put them in paradise with him. They'll live forever. But the wheat, I mean the weeds, those that aren't with him, 
See, when you reject God, then you have to deal with the consequences of that. Just like if you're driving toward a cliff and someone says, hey, you should hit your brakes. You're like, no. Mm, you got to deal with the fact that you're going over a cliff. So listen to this. Jesus uses this strong language for a purpose so you understand the kind of torment that we deserve and we are headed for. Matthew 24, 51. After one of these analogies, he says, he, this is the master God, he will cut him to pieces. Who's him? The unfaithful person, the one that doesn't follow him, the enemy of God. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth. That's you ever been so much pain, you grit your teeth and grind it? I have a weird thing where I grind my teeth in my sleep. But you ever do that? Or you hear it? Ah! You know, you see in the old movies in the cowboy times, they're going to like cut the guy's arm off with a, with a knife and they say, bite the stick, right? That's how bad it is. Those of you in the room that are already uncomfortable, me too. Me too. Well, I don't deserve that. My brother, sister, mom, and dad don't deserve that. They do. They do. Because anytime we assign value and we say someone's a good person, we're always comparing them to other humans, other people. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people that are far better than other people. There are. There are Buddhists out there that are really good people. Okay, or whoever, they're good people. But Jesus said, I am the way. No one will come to the Father except through me. It doesn't have to be fair to you because you don't see the whole picture. Matthew 25, 46, he says the same thing. He says, and they will go away, remember, into eternal punishment. What's eternal mean? Forever, never ending. Never any punishment, but the righteous will have eternal life. I, 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 I actually focus on that because cling to that for a second. But you're not righteous, are you? Remember we said that. You're not. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That seems pretty hopeless. If the standard is God, then I'm going to hell. And you are. You are without him. What does that mean? We'll get to it. Now, some people think this, this section of Scripture, this is long. I, pro, I know it's long, okay? Stay with me on this, though. It's in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Paul talks here, and he's talking about God and the fact that God hasn't come back yet. Because, see, they were getting impatient. When's he coming back? And so they started living like he wasn't coming back, okay? Listen to what it says here. He says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience? You take it for granted, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Stop. Repentance means he's not being patient so you can continue to act stupid. He's being patient in his kindness to get you to change, to turn away from the things that you're doing. But because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, that means a heart that won't turn away from those things. You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, glory, honor, and immortality. But wrath and indignation, anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth but are obeying unrighteousness. Affliction 
and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Greek would be us, people that aren't Jewish, Gentiles, but also to the Greek. There is no favoritism with God. I like that. A lot of people want justice. You want justice when it's the pedophile, don't you? Everybody does. I get it. That's not the shame. I believe they can change. Listen to me. But I'm saying that's the one. You notice that? Whenever I talk to someone, they're like, that's the one. What about the liar? What about the thief? What about the adulterer? What about the murderer? Well, that's not me. Jesus said if you hate your brother in your heart, you might as well have killed him. Because that's how the Father sees it. You look at that girl or that guy with lust, you might as well have done the deed with them because the only thing stopping you is opportunity. See, God judges the heart. Guys, that's the blunt reality of our situation. Understand this, because you are still alive does not mean God's not coming. Because you are still here does not mean that, well, he must not be real. Just because a bolt of lightning hasn't hit you yet doesn't mean storms aren't real doesn't mean lightning doesn't do damage, and it doesn't mean that God's wrath isn't coming. You're storing it up for yourself. I'm storing it up for myself. It doesn't matter how much we like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. It doesn't matter how much we don't believe that. It doesn't matter that it seems unbelievable, and it, unbelievable, and it doesn't matter that you demand proof of his existence. It's coming. We are evil, we are sinful, and we are lost. You are all of those things. Because the standard is not me, and it's not the murderer. It's a holy, perfect God. And because of this, we are enemies of God. Did you know if you're in this room and you, you cannot say, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, that's fine. You are God's enemy. Not because he views you the way, because you have put yourself against him. You have put yourself against an eternal and holy God. You won't win. Even this world, you know, sometimes the world acts like he's nothing. He will crack open the sky someday, and he will show up, and he will remind people who is God and who is not. Because you know what's interesting about the Bible? It says right now you may say he doesn't exist, but there's a time coming when every knee will bow. We're enemies of God and we've racked up a judgment. Every evil deed does not go unnoticed. Isn't that nuts? That's terrifying. Everything you've done in the dark, in the secret, in your mind, in your heart, all the things that you think no one else has seen, he sees. He has seen. We are racking up his wrath and he will, listen to me, he will be coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he's not the lamb anymore. He's not the, the man on the cross. He is the lion. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it says he comes with a sword. Yes, I will say this. This is a matter of sin. It is a matter of life or death, good or evil, heaven or hell. That is reality. Hell is separation from God, so it doesn't matter that they described it that way. You know, people are like, Todd, is hell a bunch of fire? I don't know, but I know that the only way it could be described was fire and gnashing and weeping, so I don't want to know what it is. Hell is real. The Bible also tells us not everyone's going to heaven, but everyone will have an opportunity to choose 
to put themselves with God or against him. But in order to be with God, something's got to happen with that wrath that's been stored up. It's going somewhere. So yes, I want to make clear, all the times that I've talked to you about your identity and about being a king or a queen or about marriage and love and about all of these things that the gospel is, that Jesus wants to heal you and heal your insecurities and your heart and your brokenness and your marriages, all of that's true. It is true. Though all of those beautiful things are true, hear me. It creates, it. you know, I truly believe that you have peace. The Bible tells us that. You have a peace you cannot have outside of him. No matter how, you know, you can take as many drugs as you want. Now, and, and anxiety and stuff is a real thing, but listen to me. Without him, you'll never have real peace. The separation contributes to anxiety and depression. And, and it's true that, you know, we all scramble to fill the void left by our separation from our creator and God, that all these things we do, you know, I, it breaks my heart to see my friends and, and family and loved ones scrambling to live a life that they make instead of surrendering to God and have the life that he wants to give them on this earth too. But that's not the biggest issue here. He's just good and gives us those things. The best thing he ever did is give you the opportunity to not go to hell. That's separation from him. Listen, we are all dying in a desert with no water. We are all on a plane with no parachute that's going down. On our own with no water, with no parachute, you and I will die. Jesus even gives a parable of a story of a man who goes there. Right? And he's like, if I'd only known, let me go tell my family so they're not with me. Nope. Can't do it. The time you have is now. That's bad news, guys. That's a sad, terrifying story, yeah? It scares me still. And I just gave you a little bit. Originally, I had like 100, and I was like, that's too much. You ready for some good news now? Listen, Romans 5, 6 and 8, 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, when you were going down, when you were dying of thirst, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? You. We are sinners. For rarely will a person die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might dare to die. Listen, people will barely die for someone good they love, but sometimes they might. Listen, but God proves his own love for us, not that we were good, I added that, but in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were away from him, while separated, while the wrath was getting ready to be poured out, when you had no parachute, when you had no water, when death was imminent, at that moment Christ died so that you don't have to. He put his hand under the water of wrath. Romans 5.1, so what happens because of that? Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer enemies, we have peace. We are not only, not only that, because that would have been like, okay, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't really like you. I'm going to make you holy. Oof. He could have said, I'll leave you there. I'm not going to kill you. But instead he says, I'm going to make you holy so I can bring you with me. <sighs> are you hearing me? He could have left you there, right? I'm not going to shoot you. Shh, shh. Bye. Enjoy life on your own. No. I'm going to do I'm going to reverse your decision when you left my side. I'm going to cleanse you, make you holy, and bring you home. So, 
We take some of you to that stage. Some of you are there. Some of you get to, you've accepted Christ. Guess what? You can breathe. You can breathe. Those of you who haven't, you're still on the other side. You're on the other side of the gulf. But if you have, you can breathe. Oh, I'm good. No, no, no. Let's talk about what it is to follow him. 1 Peter 1.15. But as the one, who do you think one with a capital O is? Jesus, God. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. Woo-hoo. Not some of the times. Todd, you can be holy when you feel like being holy. You can be holy in everything except when you want to punch people. You can be holy. No, no, no. In everything you do, you claim the name of Jesus, perfect. He's expecting you to be holy. How many of you in this room, don't raise your hand. Are you holy? Are you living holy or are you just banking on the fact that I got my get out of sin free card? Well, I don't do any of the bad ones. No, you just have pride and hatred and self-righteousness. Are you holy? And I want to read this verse. This is such an interesting verse. I'm going to, I want to do a play on words here. Tim, help me with this play. This is good. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I told you it was coming, Tim. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You ready? Now, I can tell you the whole story. There's a whole story here where they're comparing it to Moses. Beautiful, cool story. I'm not going to do it. Go read it. But, cool story. And why he says this, but just for our purposes, I want you to picture what he's saying here. You're looking in a mirror and you see God. God is going to transform you so that's your reflection. Stay with me. You're not become God, but you become as God. You're going to look like him. You're going to talk like him. You're going to be like him. This is weird. It says we are being transformed. Transformed from one degree of glory to another. Oof, I like that. Little by little, like right now, it's like 90 in here. It's like taking it down a degree. But up, come up front, Darlene. It's flaming hot up here. <laughs> She's like, mm-mm. <laughs> but this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So that's interesting. So we're being transformed. You're like, well, Todd, I'm not holy all the time. I'm not holy. Well, how am I being transformed? You ready? The end. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He is going to continue to transform me. <sighs> well, that's confusing. You're confu- we'll talk about it. I know. I get it. I always say being a Christian is this strange dichotomy. That's a big word. I used to be an English guy. Two opposite things kind of, right? Trust in him, but continue to try to be holy, to live holy. How, but he wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't. So we're learning to rely on him more and more so that we can be holy. Well, how do I know how to rely on him more and more? You do what he said to do. You read the Bible, go to church, worship, love people, love him. Guys, you ready? I want to connect this for you. That's a lot. And I did it intentionally so you'd see the before and after. And then I have something to talk to some of you, because some of you in this room, you come to church. Listen, I'll talk to the, there's people that are, you're all remnant folk now. That's what you are. You're remnant folk. You come here. I love you. I haven't even got to meet you yet. You're remnant folk. You think coming to the remnant saves you? You think you can't fool me into thinking you're a good person? Remember, he's going to separate the wheat and the weeds. Jesus did not come just to pardon those sins, though he did. He pardoned us. He took the wrath. He also came to make us holy, to change and transform us. See, some of you, you stopped there. You think, oh, all that, it's like Monopoly. I rolled a get out of sin free card. This is awesome. Who wouldn't be a Christian? You're not getting it. 
Jesus himself said, many will say, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these things in your name? And he will say, get away from me, I never knew you. Did I not serve? Did I not clean? Did I not lead the youth? Did I not wash dishes? Did I not serve on the food team? Those are beautiful things, but they don't save you. He saves you. You do them because you are saved. But they're still important. We'll get to that. I got ahead of myself. So let me ask you, I said, listen, he also came, so he came to forgive us our sins, to take the wrath, but he also came to transform and change us. You ready? Does your life show change? Is there actual change in your life? It doesn't matter if it's been 20 years. Is there change in your life? Because if there isn't, this isn't Todd. Like, I'm not getting extra money to scare you. I'm saying it because I love you. If there's zero change, then did you actually follow him the day you met him? Did you truly put your faith in him? Did you truly surrender and say, you are Lord? Or did you just say, you're a good teacher? I found something fascinating in the Gospels. And maybe this will help you understand. I, you want to know, many of you long-term Christians who've been longer Christian than I have grew up that way. Maybe you thought of this, but I never did. I didn't really understand this. Whenever I read the Gospels, it blows my mind. Everybody followed him for a while. It said 3,000 people were there. You understand? 3,000 people. It said when he came back to Jerusalem, they were like, the king's here. And they're all like, yeah, he's awesome. And then when he didn't give them what, exactly what they wanted, the way they wanted it, they said, crucify him, crucify him. See, some of you in this room, the deep, deep down, you're cool with going with the crowd. You like to merge with the Christian crowd, but you've never really followed them all the way to the cross. Some of you have done it for 30 years, 40 years. And you think, you know, I want you to come to church because hopefully you're going to hear it eventually. But some of you have go to church, but you don't know him. You know all about him, but you've never met him. But with that, no one, has, no one ever has met Jesus, called him Lord, and then continued on to be the same as they were before. Listen to me. This is important. There is not a place in the Bible that someone didn't that when someone comes and acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord, which would be what we call ourselves as Christians, who then walked out and continued to live the way they lived, continued to show themselves the way they were before they met him. It didn't happen. When Jesus met them, when he changed a life, people were willing to die for him. People were willing to change completely. People were willing to do insane things because they were forever changed. Let me ask you something. I, you can tell me the date that you became a Christian, but can you tell me the day that you changed? Because if there wasn't a change, then have you followed him? Some of you are mad at him because he's not giving you what he promised. Where's my peace, Lord? Where's my joy, Lord? Where's the answers to my prayers? And it's because you're still his enemy. Just because you're not saying crucify him, crucify him yet doesn't mean that's not who you really are. You know, Jesus would meet people and he would heal them. And, and this is where I think people that don't ever watch my sermons long term, I'm talking to you pastors that try to criticize, when you don't watch the whole message, you only hear the part that says, you know, God's grace forgives all. You don't, you don't hear this part. 
I think it's vitally important that people understand that the first thing Jesus says is not to speak into what your identity as a sinner was, but it's to heal you. And it's after that that Jesus then says to every person he heals, the first thing out of his mouth is, now go sin no more. Now go sin no more. In fact, one guy, it's kind of scary. He goes, by the way, I healed you. Now go and sin no more so something worse, even worse doesn't happen to you. Because sin leads to death. It's the paraphrase, but he says it. Rodney's like, I know the exact verse. You are good. Anyway, listen to me. He says that. So nothing worse happens. There is not a time that someone didn't meet Jesus and was truly changed that they could, they, they, it was impossible to live as they were. Peter tried. You know, after Peter denied Jesus, he decided to go back to be a fisherman. He wasn't happy. It even says at one point that he was kind of out by himself. You know, I view he was out there torturing himself as we usually do. You know, he came back and Jesus had to remind him of who he was. Peter was never the same. Peter, the, the hot-headed coward, became the Peter that when faced with all he had to do was deny Jesus, he said, go ahead and crucify me. Just do it upside down because I don't deserve to die like my Lord. That's not the same Peter that said, I don't know that man, is it? He was changed. You know, I used to get confused when I would read James. Um, when I would read the sections of Scripture that talked about fruit. Because people would be like, well, you know, faith without works is dead. you got to work. you got to work for it. And then I finally got it. And I've told you this. I don't try to grow apples to become an apple tree. I grow apples because I am an apple tree. You will have good works because you are a Christian. You don't do good works to become a Christian. But... If you're a tree with no apples, you got to ask yourself what kind of tree you are because you're only one of two things. You're either not an apple tree or you're an unhealthy one, meaning you're not doing what he said, you know, because once you're transformed, it's like, okay, now you're this. We don't tell a butterfly to go act like a caterpillar, right? We don't do it. It's changed. By the way, just go munch and crawl around and, you know, try to make a cocoon again even though you can't because you're transformed. You're different. And now you've got to act like a butterfly. Do butterfly things. Go fly. Right? Who are you in the Gospels? Who are you? Are you the man when Jesus made him blind and they came and they, you know, he faced, essentially, if anybody at this point, when the Pharisees, the religious people started getting mad at him, what they decided was anybody that said he was the Messiah, they kicked out of church. We'll call it church for you guys. You can't be in church anymore. Back then, you couldn't just go to a different church. <laughs> You're out. And so they come up to him and they say, hey, uh, it's not true you were blind. He's like, yeah, actually. Well, who healed you? Uh, that Jesus guy. Is he the Messiah? I have no idea. I just know I was blind and now I can see. And they said, well, is he the Messiah? And then he's sarcastic. There's a lot of sarcasm, by the way, in the Bible. Because he says to him, he says, what, do you want to be his disciples too? Think about that, dude. That's like that meme where the glasses and the cigar come out of his mouth and you hear the gangster music, right? He got kicked out. Did you know that? He was kicked out of the church. He was kicked out of the temple, and Jesus comes up to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of God? He goes, well, tell me who it is. He goes, it's me, the one talking to you. He goes, then absolutely I do. He was changed. He was willing. He was different, guys. Every, or are you the rich young ruler? A sad, one of the saddest tales in the Bible. Everybody's like, well, he was rich. He showed up. It actually said Jesus loved him. So I like to think that was a, he was a good guy. By our standards, we'd be like, that's a good man. 
And it said, Jesus loved him. He says, hey, have you followed the commandments? And the guy said, I've done them all. And it said, I, essentially, Jesus kind of smiled because he did. He didn't do any killing, didn't do any cheating on his wife, didn't he steal an addiction, all that. He didn't do it. He looked good. Jesus, I feel like, probably said it very quietly. I don't know this. And he said, okay, perfect, only one other thing. Sell everything you own and follow me. And when it came to the cost, when it came to showing a change, he walked away. In fact, it says the young man walked away because he had many possessions. See, he wasn't willing to change because he didn't really get who Jesus was because he called him teacher, teacher. If you call Jesus a teacher, you won't change. If you follow his advice, you might be good for a little while, but you won't change. Only he can change you, and that means accepting him as Lord. Well, who are you in the Gospels? We all assume, are, 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 you, the, are you the blind man? Or are you the rich young ruler? Well, I've been in church, you know, I've heard people, well, I've been in, they, I've literally went up to people before, talked to them about God and the gospel, and I've had people tell me, um, don't you tell me that I've been in church since I was five years old. Cool. That's really neat. The Pharisees knew the Bible front and back. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. You guys got to stop thinking knowledge equates to knowing him. Who are you in the gospels? Are you the blind man that's willing to walk, you know, follow him even when it has a cost? Or are you the rich young ruler that walks away sadly because you have many possessions? Whatever that is. Some of you won't even go to church because your spouse doesn't want to go. So why don't you call yourself what you really are? If your husband wants to pick a name, your husband's name Bob, you're just a, a Bobbian. That's what it is. You're not a Christian. A Christian follows Jesus. A Christian doesn't just follow your husband. Yes, you respect him, but if your husband don't want to go to church... When there's a, you know, you respect your husband to the point that it comes between respecting God or him. You go to church because you follow him. Same thing, guys. Guys, you are more guilty than they are because they just bat that eye and you're like, they ain't going to kiss me later if I go. Right? She doesn't want to go. Well, my wife didn't. Oh, boy. My side note, when you use your wife as an excuse not to go to church, you make me so angry because you know you, you think you got me. You think if I say something, you're going to go, oh, so you, uh, you don't think I should love my wife like Christ loves the church? Yeah, I do. Christ doesn't let his church just wander off and say, we're not going to worship you today because we don't want to. Quit it, men. Because honestly, I don't blame her, I blame you because you're just lazy and you don't want to go. But she's a convenient excuse. Side note, wasn't on the notes. Uh... Listen, we should be motivated to pursue holiness as Jesus was holy. If you are not pursuing holiness as Jesus is holy, you might be saved still. I'm not going to say you're not, but you're definitely stopped in the road and you're not following. You've got to follow. Though we're being transformed glory to glory, we have an obligation to choose holiness and reject sin. To live out of the new creation and not the old. Paul talks about that. He says, listen, Paul saw Jesus, spoke with him, healed people, did crazy things. And he said, every day I wake up and I have a choice between being who I used to be or being who I really am. I do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do. Now you'll understand that even in the midst of that, this man who knew Jesus that intimately, when he fell short, he didn't use it as an excuse to not continue to pursue holiness. He just thanked Jesus. Thank you, God. Right at the end of chapter 7, he says, but... Thank you. Thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ that he saved me. Because, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation in Christ. That even when I fall short by my human standards, I am still okay because of him. It's not an excuse not to try. 
butterflies fly because that's what they do. And Christians act like Christ because that's what they do and who they are. We have to choose to become more like him bit by bit, little by little. Ready? One degree at a time. Told you I was going to do a play on words. One degree at a time. I love that. That's why I chose this. I, that's an ESV. Typically, I do HDSB. Meaning, guys, listen, it's, I, I like the idea of a thermostat. Listen, just because, like, it's, I'm hot right now. Some of you are cold. Pick your thing, okay? If it's winter and it's 20 degrees, you don't not turn the heat on when it's been on off, off all day just because it might take two hours to get warm again. You turn it up and you wait degree by degree till it gets to the temperature it's supposed to be at. Some of you give up because you look at the standard and say, I'll never be that. And so you don't even try to go up degree by degree. Being like him, knowing that all the while he loves you right where you're at, that's the beauty of grace. Now I'm about to tell you why it's such a beautiful thing. That even when you fall short, as you follow him, as Peter did, he still sees Jesus. He still sees you. He loves you. He forgives you. He is faithful to you because it says he can't not be faithful to himself. You are mine, and to be unfaithful to you is like being unfaithful to myself. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never walk away from you. I'll never cast you out. You will never out my grace because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I take sin too far. Hmm. Or grace too far. No, I don't. Abounds all the more. I just hope that he watches it sometime. Little by little, bit by bit, one degree at a time. Guys, some of you in the room, believers, you are saved, but you're going to be saved as through a fire. It's going to be like you jumped out of a hot building. You burned, but you made it. I'd rather go and be given a crown. So what's the beauty of grace? I know, hopefully you guys are taken from... The beauty of grace is that in the midst of my sin, he loves me still. That in the midst of my sin, he died for me. To reach down, man, that makes me cry now, and pull me out of the muck. When all of you turn against me, he never will. When the world says you've gone too far, he says you can never go too far. When I say I'm not good enough, he says I've cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. When they say you're broken and worthless. He says, I see you. And I love you. And I'm with you always till the very end of the age. This is such, that is the beauty of, of grace. That's why I talk about grace. Because I refuse to be obsessed with who I used to be. I want to be obsessed with who he is and who I am now. Sometimes the church glorifies sin. They do. We focus on it to the point that we stop focusing on being more like him, right? We just focus on all the ways we're not like him. I know you're probably thinking, well, Todd, you said a couple things because I'm talking to a couple different people in the room. There's a couple different crowds in the room that need to hear this today. And I don't know which one you are. So let me finish, though. Beauty of grace, it's not perfectionism. Because as Paul says, where I fall, where sin happens, you know, I know the context, guys, I know the con- Grace abounds all the more. You can't out-sin grace. You can't out-sin the cross. You can't out-sin Christ's sacrifice. How far is far enough? Right? How far is too far to escape? How, 
But, you know, to say someone can out-sin grace is to say that Christ's sacrifice was meaningless. Because they already had ways to do temporary holiness, didn't they? You guys want to go out and kill a sheep every year? Me either. <laughs> it's only temporary. It was all a picture of the times to come of Jesus. Listen, also, it's not relying on us. Here's the reality. God's going to finish the good work he started in you. It's just going to be a lot worse for you if you don't actually choose to follow him. Right? Sometimes he's grabbed me by the feet and drugged me. Very uncomfortable. I remember a time that I said, God, do whatever it takes to get me out of this. And he did. And it sucked. But he got me out of it. That's God. We don't follow and live lives to be holy. I'm sorry. We don't follow Jesus and live holy. I don't know how to talk. We don't live holy to be holy. We live holy because we are holy. And if there is no desire in you to be holy, zero desire. Listen, you can get mad at me. You can tell yourself all you want, right? Then you have to ask yourself, have you, are you actually saved? Do you actually know him? Because if I believe the Bible, then it tells me that a believer is sealed and sanctified with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never let you be comfortable not continuing or to continue to live in sin. You just won't be. And that's why some of you are miserable too because you're saved and you keep hoping that if you, you pile it on enough, distract yourself enough, drink enough, sleep with enough people, whatever, it'll go away. And he's like, you thought, you thought I was kidding when I said I wasn't going to let you go? Right? Apple trees grow apples. And even when they fail, this is the beauty of grace, even when they fail to grow healthy fruit, even when we stumble, even when we fall, he never stops loving, never stops healing, never stops pursuing, never stops transforming, even if it's just one degree at a time. So she's going to play some music, and I'm going to ask you a question. I was told that the key to church growth is to shorten my messages. Eh, here we go. What steps do you need to take to become more like Jesus in your lifestyle? What habits, actions, choices, and behaviors do you need to change? Be honest with yourself. Not for me. I'm going to love you either way because I I, I, that's just what I'm called to do. What, are you, what, what do you need to change? You know what it is. It just came to your mind. For some of you, it's going to church. It's stop making the whining excuses because you don't like me or whatever else. Then pick a church. Go somewhere. I just want you to go somewhere because that's what he said. Maybe it's loving people. Maybe it's loving your husband or, respect, or respecting your husband or loving your wife. It could be 55 other things. Maybe it's putting down the idol and you know what it is. That thing you worship more than anything else. I used to worship a lot of things. I used to worship football. How ridiculous is that? I worship the sport. I did, though. I would do anything, right, to worship it. Some of you do that. Some of you worship work. What things do you need to change? What are you willing to do today to change the temperature so that your life begins to change one degree at a time? Just one. Do you need to walk away from something? Do you? Sometimes he asks us to do that. He asks us to walk away from things we like because they're not good for us. Do you need to confess to an addiction? Do you know why he wants you to confess it? Because you're scared to. And if you confess it, then he can heal it, right? You ready for a cool pastor quote? He can't heal what you won't reveal. Look at that. He can, but it's won't 
You need to acknowledge that you've been self-righteous instead of Christ-righteous. Some of you in the room, you've been worshiping your own holiness. Forgetting where it really came from. Because I'm not your standard. Some of you are like, as long as I'm not like that Todd fellow, I'm good. No, you're not. (laughs) And some of you in this room need to remember your situation. You know, Jesus draws a line in the sand. He does love. He does. And he's pursuing you. But there will come a time when it's simple. And you need to view it this way. It's important for you to view it this way. You are with him or you are against him. Because to be in the middle is to be against him. Some of you have been so angry for so long because you know you're not living the way you're supposed to. And it's killing you. And you take it out on everyone around you. And you've burned all your relationships and your friendships for this one thing that's not really bringing you life. But now you've already put all your eggs in that basket, right? It's time to let it go. So, you know, if you're a Christian in this room and you're being honest with yourself, that's the beauty of grace. You can always come home. You can say, I'm sorry, Father. I'm ready to go up by a degree, right? One degree. That's enough. One degree. What are you willing to do? See, some of you, I do this altar time. Hopefully this goes off. It won't be up when, when you get the opportunity to come up here, camera's off, just so you know. Some of you won't walk. You say, I I want it, but you won't walk 15 feet. You won't walk 20 feet, 30 feet. It's not about the person you're praying with. It's about the God you're praying to. I used to do it this. Like, there's many times I do pray alone. And I, but I also know the times, if you've been at this church long enough, I've went up to the front. Because there's times he's calling me to do that. That's an act of humility. That's an act of showing where I'm at and what I need to do. Some of you need to do that today. And it's not for me. I don't get a dollar for every person that comes up here. Right? I'm not even looking at you. I'm worrying about me. When I come down here, I'm praying for me right now. Some of you need to to come back, right? Jesus is coming to you today like he did to Peter, and he's like, are you ready to to do what I've asked you to do? Stop acting a fool, right? But some of you are enemies of God. Now, you're probably saying, well, how do I do that, Todd? How do I know? How do I know that I'm not going to be gnashing my teeth, weeping, all those things? I can tell you, this is the beauty. See, God's already done. Jesus already did the wrath-taking. Are you willing to accept it? Are you willing to surrender? See, Christianity all starts with surrender. Surrendering my way to his way. The Bible says this. You want to know Jesus? Confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead and you will be saved. Period. So today, I've already told you the gospel. I just told you in all the verses. I did a double. That's good. I saved some time. You know the gospel. We're all sinners. But God gave us a way. My heart breaks for two people in the room. It breaks for the people that don't know him, because I was you. I was old. I was 18, 17, 18. I was old enough to hear the voice, and I almost didn't go until someone behind me said this, and I'm going to say to you, don't be afraid. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks, because my life changed forever that day. And then it's for the person in the room that's waiting for me to get done, even though you know God's been trying to change you for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and you don't ever change, and you think you're following him just because you feel bad about it. Judas felt bad about it, too. Do you know that? Judas felt bad about what he did. He just, he just took care of it his way. A disciple comes to, comes to Jesus. So if that's you today, whatever you do, wherever, where you're at, whatever ways the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, because God loves you guys. He loves you that much that he would go that far. And even today is saying, I'm right here. I'm not mad at you anymore. I love you. 
I love you. Did you know that he loves you? That all those bad things, you don't have to live in shame anymore. It's gone. Whatever you do today, take this time, this holy time, this time between you and God. Make it count. Don't leave here the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.